0: Hi, my name is Jason Robinson and you're listening to Das Full Monty, the good news podcast.
1: day to you and welcome to Das Fulmante, the good news podcast, Central New York's only podcast dedicated to nothing but good news and the celebration of what is good and what is right. Top of the morning to you, people, and here we are. We're live once again on a Saturday morning, and as promised and as advertised, have a very special guest and ongoing theme with the podcast. His family and I go back quite a long ways, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but um, This is one inspirational person on a variety of one who I've been able to watch for several years and not just myself, but the local community in the area, because he's making a difference in the world. It's a story that needs to be told. It's a story that needs to be out there. And as you will know that today, he not only represents himself and his family, but he is also here to pay homage and tribute to a lot of other people in the world, which on face is admirable. So I'd to take the time to welcome Jason Robinson. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing very, very well. It's good to see you once more. Been behaving? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Famous last words. <laughs> you know, one of the things I'm not used to is you have a mustache.
0: I do. When did you start growing that? So, um, I mean, I gave it a trial run during No Shave November, and I gave it a little Movember there, and... I had it there, and then I kind of just I shaved the beard off two days ago just as like a keeping it switching Oh, so you actually had the
1: full package.
0: Yeah, I had the full package for a while. Wow. Yep.
1: Wow, wow. All right. <laughs> and you're how old at this point? I am 19. 19 years old. And I know I, I remember you said outside you are currently attending the University of Illinois. He is trying to become a fighting Illini. what What's an Illini?
0: That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> wow, representing the college well there, I know, I know. Um, so, I mean, fighting Illini, I mean, it's really, it's our mascot. I mean, we are fighting Illini. If I, someone yells ILL at me, I will yell I, and I, I, and I back. We were just actually in Disney. And um, all the alums always see me wearing, like, the Illinois gear and the merch, and they shout ILL, and it took me off guard for a second because I just wasn't in school mode, and I just – uh, it took me a second to yell it back, but yeah, I mean, it's
1: just our school pride, and yeah. And so as you just found out, people, uh, we still don't have a clue with that, is. <laughs> So we, we got some homework that we uh, we have to do. So um, Jason and I, I met, gosh, who knows how long ago, probably since your birth, considering I've known your parents uh, for 30, 40 years, if not uh, longer than that. But uh, he has a interesting and unique story. And I guess the first thing I will ask you, Jay, is to tell the audience about your story. What do you want people to know about you before we get into your foundation?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess just a little backstory on me. I've, um, I mean, right now I'm in college, I'm a sophomore in bioengineering studying at the University of Illinois. But before that, I mean, a big part of my story comes with uh, track and field. Um, I mean, that's how I got into a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. Um, But I mean, I've been doing wheelchair track and field since I was 10. Um, And from there, I mean, I've been able to compete all around the country and uh, hopefully in the future be able to hopefully make a Paralympic Games. And that's something I've been working towards both in college and outside of it. But I mean, outside of that, I mean, I guess I'm just just like everyone else. I mean, I like to hang out with my friends. I like to just chill around i yeah so i mean i'm very much a regular kid outside of uh the stuff that i do oh you most certainly are trust me let's go back to your childhood a little bit
1: my friend and for people who are from the area and not part of the area you were born and raised where
0: so i mean technically i was born in syracuse however right after i was born we moved to um, hudson falls new york but i moved i also moved from there to watertown and but then uh I lived the majority of my life in um, Westmoreland or Rome, New York.
1: Okay, and for those people who don't know where Westmoreland is, this is actually the second guest I've had who is from Westmoreland. I'm not sure if you know Kevin Green or not.
0: Oh, I think so. The name okay. sounds familiar.
1: Boy, he is familiar because he's very naughty, but anyway, <laughs> uh, Westmoreland is a very small community. Graduating class of about how big?
0: I think mine was 72.
1: 72. Wow. <laughs> so I'm going to Mount Markham, I shouldn't be talking any smack because we barely got over 100 ourselves. And I know you mentioned you're going to college for bio... Bioengineering. What do you do with a bioengineering
0: degree? So, I mean, the like possibilities are pretty much endless. I know it bioengineering stemmed based off of other engineering principles and just combining the medical field with them pretty much. So, I mean, the thing that interests me going into it was um, neural prosthetics and just working in that field. And that's what really was like, okay, I think I could have a career in this in the future. But I mean, as I've taken classes and I've, as I've done research at the university, um, I mean, realistically, I think the biggest thing that's uh, just intrigued me towards it and just helped me um, continue to grow in the field is uh, I think the biomechanics of the human body are super interesting to me. And I think that's something that I would love to go into in the future whether it be working with prosthetics or just working with patients, I think that'd be something that's really interesting for me.
1: Where did this interest come from?
0: Um, so, I mean, I've always wanted to work in the med field. I think if you asked me, I don't know, five, six years ago, if it, what I wanted to be, I would, would have told you a neurosurgeon and it, it would have not like taken me a, a second guess. But then as I um, grew older and I mean, I took some more STEM classes in high school. I took your AP physics, your AP math, um, and it was like, I really enjoyed those, and I really did well in them. But I knew I didn't want to go to med school. I didn't want to spend that much time in school. So uh, bioengineering kind of has that happy medium for me where it's I get to still be a part of the med field, but I also get to um, do the math and science and the uh, STEM aspects of it that I enjoy. If you haven't picked up
1: on it yet, uh, Jason gets around in a wheelchair. And um, I'm curious about this because... What you have been able to do, and I'm sure you've shared your story multiple times, but it was interesting because I was literally with a group of students yesterday, and the conversation was they're they're reading this book in high school, and the teacher reached out to me because some students were questioning what they perceived were disabilities and why should they be concerned about people with disabilities? And I wasn't sure if I was offended by that question or not, Uh, but I knew that they wanted me to come in and talk to students about perceived or actual disabilities. And what I did, Jason, before I went to the school was looked up disability. And it was interesting because I stutter. And part of the definition of, of a disability is any condition that could have a negative impact on one's life or ability to be successful or so on. And I asked the students, and actually they were quite surprised that I'm a stutterer. And I said to them, do I have a disability? Some of them were arguing that race actually came up yesterday. One person, and actually it was a teacher who actually noted that, you know, being black can be considered a disability. And I said, I I wasn't aware of that, Uh, but, but it's very interesting. But the point of that conversation yesterday is I wanted to talk about the lens of people who may or may not have a disability. And I'm very passionate about said group. You know, in 2020, I was bestowed an award for my work with students who require accessibility and disability services. I'm extremely proud of that. And people often ask, why am I so passionate about the group? And then it's because these people who have varied conditions, whether it's stutter, stuttering, whether it's being in a wheelchair, whether it's a physical disability or some other kind, a cognitive disability, an addiction, whatever the case may be, they understand a word, which I'd like you to talk about. And the word is resilience. Do you know what that word means, Jason?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know if I could spit the definition back at you, sure. but I think the general gist of it is just um, in the face of adversity, just being able to adapt and overcome and just be able to... I think a big thing for me when I think of that word and a big thing for my story is just um, I use the word adaption for a lot because it's just, yeah, I have a disability, but in many ways um, I've seen people talk about it. When I go into schools, uh, I've talked about it, and uh, I think it's really just everyone does... Things a little differently, and some people need to adapt to their circumstances. And I think that one thing that uh, I've done well, and that I hope to portray and help other people do well, is just adapting to whatever circumstance they're put in. I feel like my parents did a really good job at teaching me just to live like an average kid and just live like your normal kid. They didn't treat me any differently growing up. Um, they didn't really necessarily. I mean, yeah, I had a disability, and we all know that, but. Um, I still had to do chores around the house. I still had to do all of the stuff that all of my other siblings had to do, but they didn't treat me any differently, and I think that was really important in just helping me be able to adapt and be able to um, change to the uh, circumstances given and just hopefully have that resilience and that perseverance.
1: I remember when I was doing my associate's degree, and part of my master's, not part of my bachelor's degree, and I used to work with people who had traumatic brain injury. And you said a couple things that mm-hmm. are really resonating with me, Jay, and that is adaptation. Yeah. But the number one thing that I was taught in relation to my human services over the past 40 years is don't treat people differently. Mm-hmm. You can adapt. You can do some things to modify the relationship, but don't treat people differently. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult uh, because I told the students yesterday, you are uncomfortable with these conversations because fundamentally and genetically, we are, uh, we fear things that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to, want to bring to the table with, with you and in, in your story is to let people know at the end of the day, we're people. Yeah. Okay. Adapt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And no matter what you bring to the table, every person has flaws. Every person has something that they wish they could do better or have better. And at the end of the day, we just need to be taking care of each other as people. That's the point of this podcast. I want people to tell their story, have a little fun, uh, but just to remind people, I don't care what you bring to the table in terms of my world. I'm thankful that you're here. And that's an important thing. Many, many years ago, uh, Jason reached out to me because I had done this bicycle ride around New York state and, um, started this, this, the first ever bicycle ride in the County to honor kids with cancer and leukemia who may or may never ride a bicycle. And, and he reached out to me to go for a bicycle ride. And I was like, I was, how are you able to ride a bicycle? And you may or may not remember this conversation, but I've told the story about a hundred times. And I asked you, how how do you ride a bicycle? And you said, well, I have a a special hand crank bicycle. And I said, oh, I didn't even think of that. But you said to me, and I quote, I hope you can keep up. (laughs) And I've had more people burst when they hear that story. But I'll never forget that story because I often see the photo of you and I together. We're riding down toward Clark Mills and your mother is behind us and takes the picture of me looking down at you. Mm-hmm. And I've been telling myself forever, I've got to blow that picture up and put it in my office because you just need to know, Jason, that since we have met, the ongoing impact you've had on my life. Thank you. And uh, it's it's I who thanks you because you are a constant reminder of me when I talk with anybody of how important today is and how you have to, pardon the pun, adapt and step forward. And so I just wanted to applaud you on that. Talk to me a little about uh, your family. You have how many siblings? Remind me.
0: I have four siblings. Where are you in the mix? Um, So I have an older sister and then I have three uh, younger siblings, uh, two younger sisters and a younger brother. How old are they? Um, So Garrett, he is turning 10. Madison's 12. Ariana's 17. And then my older sister, Ashley, is 24.
1: What is the uh, sibling relationships like? I'm curious.
0: So, I mean, I am obviously the favorite child, but uh, <laughs> just don't tell my other siblings that. Um, no, but um, in all seriousness, I think we all pretty get along. I mean, obviously you have your sibling, sibling uh, rivalries, but it's, I think having a brother and then having two sisters, it, uh, we balance each other out. And then I think that as I've gotten older, I've got grown closer with uh, my siblings and just really appreciate the relationship I have with them.
1: I'm amazed because I've known you so long. Today, it's really standing out how much you've matured. Really, it's, <laughs> st- it's really standing out. And your ability to articulate what you have to say has changed dramatically. Where does that come from?
0: Um, I like to credit my parents a lot with that. I think that well, let's credit
1: your mother, your father. will talk about
0: it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my mom, and she's done a very good job at just, uh, teaching me to be respectful and just teaching me to be kind. And I think that's kind of helped when it comes to like the public speaking aspect of things. Um, she's also pushed me to public speak more within the foundation and within, um, some of the things I participate in just because she sees that I kind of have a knack for it and I, I do pretty well. So I think she's just helped me, um, just feel more confident in what I'm portraying myself and just giving off what I want to give off and just make sure that I'm just putting the right messages across.
1: At this point, do you have any idea how many presentations you have done on behalf of the foundation?
0: Um, I don't know. I think there's probably a good 20, 30 plus. I, I think I would speak every year at the gala. Um, I would speak at the golf tournament. I, we now do have a, a traveling literature basketball program that goes into schools. And I've done that numerous times. I'm actually going um, in a week from now to go speak at a school in uh, Syracuse. Um, But yeah, so I think on top of that, there's probably 20, 30 plus. I don't know. I don't, I don't really keep track that much though.
1: So talk about that because you're expanding your audience right now you're talking to people who don't know you, who don't know upstate New York, who don't even know me perhaps. And to hearing you talk about the gala and the foundation, we'll, we'll transition to the foundation shortly. But what do you want people to know
0: um, about, like the foundation, or just about, like, is that when you go to speak to schools, you're talking specifically about the foundation? Well, I mean, I that's uh, that I kind of like wean into that, but I I kind of tell them more about my story first and just go give them a, a background about uh, like how I started in sports because sports are such a big part of my life. Um, I tell them about the Boilermaker. Um, if, for people who don't know, the Boilermaker is a 15K race here in Utica, New York. Um, largest and 15K in the country, yes? It's the largest 15K in the country, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but So that was the race that actually got me started in wheelchair racing. So the backstory behind that was um, I have had family that lived in Utica for many years, back when I used to live in Hudson Falls. So we'd come down for the Boilermaker every year, and I'd come and watch, and we'd go sit right in the corner of uh, – hill right at valley view and uh the right there at the corner there but uh yeah so we'd come sit and then every year i would do the kids run which is just like a quarter mile run where i got to meet some of the pro wheelchair racers and i just raced in my everyday chair and uh i would uh, have my dad run (laughs) beside beside me um and we just do the quarter mile run every year and then i'd go watch the race but um when i was four i actually asked my mom what they were doing because I had no clue what wheelchair racing was or that people in wheelchairs could even do sports for that ma- for mm. that matter. but when I asked her, I immediately told her right afterwards when she told me what it was I said, I'm gonna do that someday. So I made it how old I was four
1: four years old. Yes
0: so I made it my goal to do the boilermaker when I was four and flash forward about six years once we've moved back here um, and um, I actually did compete the bo- com- compete in the boilermaker when I was ten <laughs> years old. Um. Thanks to my fourth grade class um, who raised enough money for me to have a racing wheelchair.
1: What does it cost to have a racing wheelchair? Talk about the costs associated with that.
0: Yeah. So I feel like that's a major aspect of it because um, unlike a pair of running shoes where if you wanted to get into running, um, the base pair of running shoes, even just if you want to got one, I don't know, 50 bucks, maybe. But for a racing wheelchair, for a kid to get started in wheelchair racing, um, a beginner level racing wheelchair costs um, upwards of three grand. So the price for that, thats not many families could afford that. And my family couldn't afford that at the time for me to just be able to even start the sport. I mean, and then as you grow and as you get better in the sport, the technology changes and that you get a better chair, you get a more aerodynamic chair. And the chair that I'm in right now with the wheels and everything and all of this Costs combined, probably upwards of 12 grand. So, where,
1: where are these chairs made?
0: Um, so there's many different manufacturers that are all around the world. Um, we have a few in the U.S. here. Um, but um, the one I use, I'm in a carbon bike chair with uh, the R1. I'm in an R1. But they're based out of Florida. So, I mean, it's not really what happens is is you act, uh, you find someone who can measure you for the chair or locally. I used to get measured at... Uh, Mark DePorto would help me up at Citroen. Um, I mean, I played wheelchair basketball with the Citroen program for so long too. So they were tremendous in my growth as an athlete and my growth as in wheelchair sports. But um, so yeah, so he would actually help measure me for my first racing wheelchair. And then the measurements would get sent out to the company and then you'd get the product uh, probably about a few months later.
1: I'm curious about... A few things, obviously, but um, do you perceive a wheelchair division making the leap into the Olympic category?
0: So, I mean, as at the moment, we have the Paralympics um, for wheelchair racing. I mean, um, so I think, I mean, many people ask me, are, just so I understand the question correctly, are you asking, like, so that the Olympics and the Paralympics would just be one event? Yes. Um, so I have many mixed beliefs on that. I think that one, it would be awesome to be able to just have one event and just have all your athletes, your best athletes from the country, regardless of disability or not be at one event. Um, I think that that's something that could happen like further down the line, I think it is more important at the moment though, to preach the awareness of the paralympics and to show that people with disabilities can do this stuff um i think that if once that becomes something that's more normalized then we could integrate it into one event but it's very important in the moment that the paralympics are shown for what they are and shown for that they are people with disabilities competing and that there's so many sports that you can do if there's all these sports that are in the olympics it's the same in the paralympics we just do it a so I think that aspect is really important in just having that awareness. And that's something that I preach is just awareness because a lot of people are just ignorant. They don't really know what it is. And that's something that we can change.
1: I know we'll do this again toward the end of the podcast, but people need to see what a racing wheelchair looks like. Yeah. Uh, could you give the website information, please?
0: Um, so, I mean, if you just looked at Google, you could uh, just look up wheelchair racing, uh, racing wheelchair, and that would show you that. But there's um, some brands you could go to you could go to um top end um they have a company you can go to carbon bike you can go to eagle there's really if you just do a simple google search you could pretty much find what it looks like um there's a lot of good stuff out there what is the j rob foundation website um so that's j rob org, i think
1: what got that started
0: um so that was the what got the foundation started was pretty much just um my fourth grade class and all of the community around me, around me helping me out so much when it comes to adaptive sports. Um, So, I mean, my first hand cycle that I received um, when I was, I think I was six or seven, um, my community raised the money for me to be able to have it. My racing, my first racing chair, my community raised the money for me to be able to have it. Um, When I ski, I skied through a program that was fully funded. So, I mean, as we were talking about before this adaptive sports equipment, isn't it's expensive. So, I mean, for, for, my community did so much for me, we wanted to give back. So um, in May of 2013, we actually founded the um, j Rob Foundation, which is a non-for-profit that helps kids with disabilities to play sports. That
1: is just incredible. How does it feel when you're able to deliver a chair? Or do you also deliver skis and those, any kind of yeah. adaptive things you got your hands into?
0: Yeah, so our foundation, we fall on under, under any adaptive sports equipment, whether it be um, – racing wheelchairs, hand cycles, skis, sled hockey, uh, sleds. Mm. We've done tricycles for people who uh, need the extra assistance when it comes to uh, biking. We've helped um, people with um, dancing, uh, just paying off costs for travel, for grants, stuff like that. We've also helped uh, one girl with um, horseback riding and uh, just the needed equipment for that too. So, I mean, really anything to get people moving, anything to get people active and just helping people, uh, yeah.
1: What's the furthest away you've assisted a family?
0: Um, To the best of my knowledge, we've helped all around the US. Um, We have a lot in central New York. We've had, that's what we've been trying to do, uh, help out. It's just people in the area as well. But we've also helped, I think, I think we've had people even all over the US. I'm not 100% sure where the furthest is. um, But yeah, we've definitely helped people around the US. I'm curious, have you ever?
1: met an athlete who really impacted you or got you emotional
0: yeah I mean for me I think I don't know if it was necessarily like emotional as in like I broke out in tears but I get really excited whenever I see athletes that I like look up to and I've admired I remember when I was 10 um anyone who knows the racing world knows who Tatiana McFadden is and feel like anyone who knows the Paralympic world knows who Tatiana McFadden is and I met her when I was 10 actually and she was one of my idols in wheelchair racing for the longest time but then also on top of that I got to meet people like Josh George um, Brian Seaman I get to train with these people every day at the University of Illinois too so I think even just my freshman year of college I mean I'm an adult and I still get super excited to train with these people just because they're they're legends in the sport and they're just they're so good at what they do, but they're also great people on top of that. So I feel like they're just great role models for me in the sport. But yeah, I mean, anytime I get to meet one of my idols when it comes to sports or anything, really, I get super excited.
1: Talk about once you made the decision to take a step forward and start doing racing, adaptive sports, specifically wheelchair racing, which was as far as I know that I didn't know about the skiing and depth, but how do you train?
0: Yeah. So, um, back when I first started, I mean, training was now and then, I mean, I didn't train as much as when I was younger, but once I started taking it seriously, um, I started training, uh, six days a week and, um, on the, during the summer and during like the summer months, we'll train outdoors. We'll train on the track. We'll train on the road. But then once it transitions to the winter months here in New York, um, or in Illinois, we train actually indoors and we have, um, these rollers which are pretty much like a treadmill almost for if you were that's the basic thing i can compare it to but pretty much what it does is it holds the front wheel of the racing chair and the back two wheels are on a drum and then you can push on that drum and then uh, you can add resistance to it and uh, yeah so um we train on rollers during the winter and then we do of course we're also in the gym too when we're lifting and uh, all, th- all throughout the year
1: one thing that you cannot see and hopefully i've, I've, I've captured it with a photo Uh, Jason has a swimmer's chest. I'm sure you've heard that. Yes, it's broad. And I, the strength just, just comes off of you. Um, what kind of speed are you reaching in in a chair?
0: Yes. I mean, um, going downhill, I think the fastest I've ever reached was in the Boston marathon last year. Um, I think I hit 42 miles per hour going downhill and yeah, you're a foot away from the ground. It's scary. um, (laughs) I think on average on the track, we average probably about 16, 17 miles per hour. 40 miles an hour. Yeah.
1: I've done that on a bicycle. Yeah. And that's, no, I need to stop today. Yeah. What kind of injuries do people uh, have in the sport, especially when they're bumping into a job? I'm assuming that has to happen. Turns um, and things like that.
0: Sometimes. I mean, of course, there's chair errors. There's people errors. I mean, nobody's perfect. But I think the nice thing with our sport is it's very minimal contact i mean we don't really like occasionally you'll have someone's compensator which is the thing we use in the track to turn uh not um lock in place and it will bounce back and i unfortunately had that happen to me in an event and i unfortunately crashed with uh, one of my teammates but so you'll have those crashes sometimes but otherwise than that you'll have just your typical like shoulder injuries i mean the nice thing about our sport is compared to running we don't as many muscle groups so we're able to recover a little bit easier we're able to do um longer distances for like more extended periods of time so i think that if you just treat your body right and just recover properly and that's something that i've learned and i'm continuing to learn at the university of illinois um is just to treat your body right and that your body will treat you right back so
1: i wasn't aware that the boston marathon had a wheelchair division Mm -hmm. what was the to the boston marathon
0: have you done it once or how many times so I, I did boston for the first time last year i'm actually competing in uh, boston again and it's 100 days from now actually um but so i've done my first marathon ever was the chicago marathon and then later in that year or the next year actually i did uh boston which was last year and then i've done um grandma's marathon in duluth minnesota and i did, just competed in the new york city marathon this past oh my uh, god this past year so i'm actually starting in my marathon cycle and stuff and I really enjoyed them, but I mean, Boston was at, that's awesome. I mean, all of the marathons have been pretty awesome just to push through the major city. And I mean, it's such a challenge on top of that. And just, I think that's one thing I really like about it is that it has that like mental component to it. And just, I mean, yeah, physically we all know we can do it because we've all trained, we've all put in the work for that time. But I think having that mental component and just realizing that you have to just get over the next hill and you just have to keep going, you just have to put your head down and just keep going. I think that's something that i Think it's made me stronger as an athlete but also just something i enjoy
1: how many competitors typically in like they bought it in new york city how many competitors
0: yeah so uh in new york city there was 35 professional wheelchair racers that seems small yeah compared to the running field it is um but i mean well, yeah but the <clears throat> hopefully we're growing. I mean, the nice thing is with these marathons is you do have to qualify for them. My so, next question. um, so that's why the fields are a little less than say, I don't know, Boilermaker some years or how do
1: you prove that you qualify Use the chip?
0: You, you have to, the data. yeah. So you have a, uh, you have a timing chip, but then you also have to go under a certain amount of time to qualify for the race. So, I mean, for most of the majors, it's sub two hours for the marathon. That's how many miles? Uh,
1: 26.2, 26.2 people most challenging race you've ever been a part of
0: the New York city marathon. So. Why? Um, the Hills. I, I do enjoy the Hills. However, I did have, you don't hear
1: that very often. I enjoy the Hills. Yeah.
0: Um, I do enjoy the Hills. However, I think I also did have some technical difficulties with my equipment that day. So, I mean, I would love to race it with no, uh, problems. However, even if I raced it with no problems, I know that for sure that would have been like definitely very challenging. Cause I mean, you're always climbing pretty much. I don't think there's a time. I mean, except except for when you're going downhill, but also um, just it being the length that is, and it being 26 miles, and just having to climb the entire time. All, all my teammates are like, "You're gonna love the moment when you cross the finish line," because it's like, "Yeah, I did that," but also your body will be killing you. So, and they were very right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that's definitely the most challenging one I've done so far. Um, I think I've enjoyed it as well. So I, I, I don't know. I, I like the challenge.
1: Talk to me about how does it feel you're moving along 16, 17, 18 miles an hour. Your body's at its peak. It's just functioning.
0: What does that feel like? Uh, that's awesome. I mean, when you're, because i mean at at that point if you're hitting those speeds and you're just able to maintain that and you're able to because for me that's like that's a good pace for me that's something that I like if when you're in i feel like it's kind of brings me always back to that moment when i was first able to compete and like first able to keep up with the big dogs in the race it's like being up in that draft and just being able to i don't know just push alongside that was just like i don't know it's just pure joy i think for me that's something that i always strive to get in racing it's just that happy moment. I mean, you're, everything's going right. You're just pushing the best you can. And you're just, I don't know. I just, I think that makes me just super happy.
1: It's interesting how you mentioned drafting. A lot of people associate that with cars. Yeah. How many people does drafting have a positive impact? How many chairs can you have where drafting is effective?
0: Um, You can pretty much get eight, nine, ten chairs in, in, a, darn. in a draft. I mean, a lot of the time it depends. So on the track, it's a little different just because there's turns. Um, but in on the road, if you were in a eight person, nine person long draft line, I think everyone would pretty pretty much would be be benefiting. Um, some not as much as others, but just that's just how it works.
1: Quite often in marathons, I, I definitely watch a lot of track and field. It's really awesome to watch things that uh, it just shows the power of the human, but the human spirit is just an amazing thing. Track and field like no other. Um, but quite often you'll see in marathons where people will be switching positions you know, to mm-hmm. so they can rest be a part of the draft. Does yeah. that happen in, in chair racing? Oh,
0: totally. I think pretty much any mechanic you can put in running, you can kind of put in wheelchair racing. We still have drafting. I mean, we're going to a little higher speeds than people are, are running. Um, so it's a little different the mechanics of it. I mean, just placing your front wheel behind someone else, um, just making sure you don't get in their crawl space, which is the space right in between the wheel and the chair, where if you get stuck in there, could be a little dangerous just because people's you don't, you're not in control at that point. Um, But I think that's something that you never really become perfect at. That's something you always grow at and you're always learning. And just, I think that just that's come to us practice and just drafting and practice, which has been very helpful to do at the university of Illinois. Um, But yeah, so I mean, I think it's one of the fun aspects of real tracing is just getting to work with other people and just draft off other people and even pull drafts. So,
1: you talk about equipment concerns yeah. during racing. What tends to go wrong?
0: Um, so you can have anything from a flat tire, which we bring. So for if it's a front tire, you kind of are stuck. You can't really change that during the race. However, yeah. we do have we do carry spare back tires um, because we're tubular tires and they can just come right off the rim. We can take it off and we can change it. And some people can do it as quick as a minute. Which uh, if you try to do it right now, I think that you would be very surprised at how fast that is. Just because I even even myself changing it not on a wheelchair and not in the chair, I can barely do it in a minute with help. Like it's it's very impressive how fast some people can do it. But so say we were to pop a tire during a marathon, you can pull over to the side, you can change it, and then we use CO two cartridges just to fill it up with air quickly, and then we just how many get back? pounds of pressure? Um, so we can put our chairs. The back tires go anywhere from. 130 psi to 180 psi okay and then the front uh typically stays right around 120.
1: i'm really surprised that changing the front tire you think that would be almost like a, a front release on a regular bike just lever pull it out just put it on a new tire
0: yeah so the the big thing with that is just being able to carry the tire with you um it's so the we have sag wagons no, we uh we just well marathons wouldn't would they? No, so whatever we have on us is all all the stuff we're allowed to use. Well, and
1: yeah, that's not necessarily true. You look at this place like the Tour de France. Yeah, and they have tons of sag wagons. That is truly interesting.
0: Yeah, so I guess from that's just a longer race. One tire a in front? So yeah, so you have one front tire. Yep. Besides the pneumatic
1: concerns, anything else go wrong?
0: Um, so you could have your. What happened to me in New York was just my. Um, it was a very humid day, so my gloves. Uh, slipped off the rim and a lot of that some of that was my fault some of that was just by chance Um, some of the things i think the nice thing with uh racing is it's a lot of learning opportunities um so if something goes wrong in a race you can learn from that you can take from it and you can just hopefully make sure that it doesn't happen again um i think that's it's frustrating in the moment because yeah you want to do the best you can and unfortunately that did not help my placement it didn't help my time however it's something that I'll learn from. It's something that I'll make sure that doesn't happen again in the future. So talk about the gloves. Yeah. So um,
1: special gloves for wheelchair versus biking. Talk to me.
0: Yeah. So when we push on our gloves, we actually do not grab the hand rim at all. So if you watched me push my everyday chair, I actually grabbed the metal hand rim and I would push it forward to propel myself. But in the racing wheelchair, we actually use these um, special 3d printed gloves where they 3d printed gloves. Yeah. So the technology is really improving. So we used to actually, make them make them out of aquaplast where you had to uh mold your hand you'd have to put it in really hot plastic and then you'd put your hand in freezing cold water to make it uh freeze and help make sure your hand doesn't get hurt but from there we'd be able to scan in and um, actually they make gloves right at the university um and my coach actually makes these gloves for us and they are 3d printed where you keep your hand in like uh i don't know it's like you're holding i don't know how to describe it because it's so unique but your hands pretty much your uh your and your ring finger are tucked in completely. And then the between your thumb and your pointer and middle finger, you have a groove. And then with that groove, you put rubber or you put like a plastic on that uh, groove. And then from there you have a rubber hand rim on the racing wheelchair. And then each time you go around the room, you want to make sure that that groove hits directly where it wants to hit on the hand rim. And then from there you drive down and you would flick off at the end. And then that's what creates the stroke for us.
1: I have big hands, I'm a size 13 <laughs> ring, you guys do big hands. Is that a consequence of, yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Any idea what, what size ring finger you have?
0: I did not know what size ring finger I have yet. I
1: guess about a 30, <laughs> <laughs> that's a big, <laughs> hand. so I'm sure. I mean, do you ever get into, especially with hands, carpal tunnel-ish kind of things?
0: with wheelchair racing. Um, my hands can kind of beat up a lot just with the with the gloves and just because um, I mean yeah you have your 10, ten uh, your misses occasionally on the rim where your hand will hit before your glove but I mean that's just comes with practice and just making sure refining your stroke. But um I mean I don't think I've really had any like carpal tunnel or like overuse injuries in my wrists. i um, occasionally I'll get sore or something like that, but it's not I think I've been very lucky to not have many injuries and hopefully that stays like that. <laughs> How long do gloves tend to last? Um, so you have to, a lot of the time, the structure of the glove lasts as long as you'll ever use it for. Okay. Sometimes it will break depending. It just sometimes materials break, just fluke accidents. But a lot of the time, what you have to do is repair the the rubber on it because the rubber will wear down. Um, and you also have to repair the handroom rubber as well. But typically I'd say uh, the rubber lasts a few months. Yeah.
1: Have you learned to do all of the maintenance on your chair or did you have to send it out?
0: Yeah. So I think the nice thing that racing's taught me is I've been, I like using my hands for things. I like building things. I like repairing things, fixing things. Um, So I think the nice thing with racing is that I've got to learn how to do everything on my chair so that if something were to break, I think I know how to pretty much fix anything. And the nice thing is to having the resources at the university, they pretty much could help me with whatever I needed. If I, didn't know how to do something or if I teach me how to do something. But the nice thing is throughout my years of racing, whether it be my coaches or my dad or uh, just my uh, people, other fellow teammates, just helping me, learning, teaching me how to um, fix pretty much anything on my chair.
1: Have you assisted anybody who has been able to rise to a level of competition where you have?
0: So meaning
1: they've been able to do a marathon or things like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I think something like that. I mean, we help people pretty much all over um, with the foundation. Uh, kids have, whether it be, a lot of the time it's kids starting the sport just because um, that intermediate help is once they get decent in the sport and once they get very good um, up to the levels about where I'm racing at the professional level. Um, there's other grants and stuff and they're a lot older at that time because it does take a lot of time in the sport, um, to get to where you can be competing in these marathons and stuff. So I think a lot of the time we help a lot of the kids at the beginner level. Um, we have helped kids at my level too. I've competed against some kids at junior nationals that we've, junior nationals that we've helped, um, back when I competed there and yeah, it was really cool. I mean, I actually got to meet one of the recipients that I didn't even know he was from Wisconsin. And I never knew him before, but I knew, I recognized the name. And my mom was like, I think he's one of our recipients. And he came over to me. He thanked me for uh, helping him get a chair and stuff. And we got a picture and it was super cool. So I think that's also been really cool is that we've been able to help some of the people that I see in the community and see outside of New York and see that I compete all around the country.
1: And ongoing folks, just want to remind everybody, uh, this is Jason Robinson. And today we're talking about not just Jay, but... Uh, Mind if I call you Jay? Yeah. Okay. Well, not you're going to have much choice, but anyway, (laughs) Uh, but has anybody ever called you a a philanthropist? I have not been called that before. No. Hey, welcome aboard. (laughs) What do you get out of your altruism? Altruism is defined as giving without the expectation of getting anything in return. What are you getting out of this experience of helping others?
0: I mean, I don't know necessarily if I get a ton out of it. I think that for me, it, it does bring me joy to be able to help other people. But I think the main thing for me is that the reason why we started this is just so that other people can live the, the stuff that I got to do. And just get, hopefully you just be able to give back and um, be able to help other kids, be able to do this, some of the things that I've been able to do. Because I've just been very, very fortunate throughout my life. Um, I think that, yeah, I think the biggest thing that I get is just joy and just I don't know, it's just it's very nice to see the smiles on kids' faces as they get to do some of the things that I got to do and just, I don't know, just relive those memories.
1: If we could back up for just a minute and talk about something which a lot of people ask me, and because of my work with students with a wide range of, of what they bring to, to the table. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about challenges that you may or may not have had as a child in going through school? What kind of things did you face?
0: Yeah. um, So, I mean, I faced a lot of like the typical challenges that any kid would face going through school. I mean, yeah, there was bullying. Um, There was people who didn't really understand what was going on, just how I used a wheelchair to get around or how that made me any different. Uh, Let's take a
1: minute and just go back to high school days. And I guess I'm asking this question because coming out of COVID, if we are coming out of COVID, The number one concern for me with students and across academia in the United States is mental health of our students. And even before COVID, there's been an ongoing concern with things like bullying. And I'm not even sure if students know what bullying is anymore versus kidding versus harassment. They're not discussed enough from my perspective. Mm -hmm. But yesterday, talking to the students about people who may or may not have disabilities, one of my points of emphasis is you have to ask questions so you understand. Yep. And a lot of times, especially through my work, my charitable work, that's one of the things that I talk to people who've been impacted by cancer. I had somebody in here last week telling their story. Mm-hmm. Three-time survivor, five-time impacted with cancer throughout her body. Wow. and talk about her journey. Where till you hear that podcast interview. Yeah, And what you learned from that will, will, is just powerful. That's the point of this podcast mm-hmm. is get to, to know people. So you're in high school and even before you answered, I also would like you to talk about something that we, years ago I was at a college and we wanted to have people take a wheelchair and spend a week mm-hmm.
0: in it
1: to talk about what it is like to navigate a landscape yeah you want to talk about an epiphany for people (laughs) yeah when you understand why we have the ada Mm -hmm. when you understand why accessibility is a conversation we need to have Mm -hmm. but the social aspect of it what was that like for you first of all to navigate your high school experiences in a wheelchair
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's very similar to, I feel like just a regular student, but I think for, uh, from my aspect, yeah, we did have that bullying aspect. I mean, some kids didn't understand. I think it was just more of like an ignorance thing as kids weren't necessarily trying to be mean. Um, it's just that they one didn't know what a wheelchair was or like how I used it to get around. I mean, uh, because I went to such a small school, I think that as I grew older, the bullying decreased and just because people knew who I was, like, it wasn't, there really wasn't that ignorance there. I mean, people just kind of, I had a ton of friends. I just lived with the normal life. But I think a lot of, as you touched on the accessibility thing, um, I mean, my high school wasn't even accessible for me for most of my high school career. Um, I couldn't, they had to move classes. They did a very good job at moving classes for me um, out of the one wing that I couldn't reach. I couldn't reach the social studies wing for the longest time until about uh, half my halfway through my senior year, uh, we did get an elevator down to the social studies wing. But um, I think it's something that was very much overlooked. I mean, yeah, when I entered high school, I think they put in um, they put in the elevator to that wing in with another grant associated to something else. Um, I think it was with actually the turf for our our football field that ended up getting denied. Um, but I think on because of that, I mean, it they didn't really think about it because yeah, they could move classrooms, they could do all this. But I think that's something that's super important that that wheel, that uh, lift or that elevator should have been a priority. That should have been something that uh, schools, not even necessarily just my school, schools all around that, they shouldn't have to be put and associated with another bill just to be able to be passed. They should have just been passed by themselves because that's something that's necessary for someone like me or for someone who needs it to be able to get around and just live an everyday life. Um, and I think... I mean, yeah, um, on top of that, I mean, I think everything else was pretty much accessible at my school besides that. Um, but even just in the community, I think that people with disabilities or people who um, use wheelchairs or just have um, trouble moving around that may need that extra assistance of a uh, of a elevator, of a ramp into a building. Um, I think that's something that kind of gets overlooked in that, I mean, I was joking with my mom the other day. We went to Disney and they have, they're really good at being accessible there to make sure that people with disabilities can ride their rides now. Um, especially since, I mean, I went when I was five and it wasn't the same um, as it is now. They've definitely grown a lot. And I think people are growing a lot and just the communities all around, but he put the ramp down for me to get off of the bus. And uh, the guy was like, Oh no, the ramps only for people with wheels. And my mom immediately rebuttaled him. And he's like, no, if we had a ramp here, everyone could just walk up the ramps, with people in wheelchairs. and, like immediately told him that. And I I think that that just kind of shows like the ignorance on that aspect is yeah, there was ignorance with in high school, but there's ignorance all around in the community. People just don't know. And that if we had all these things and they just became the new norm, people wouldn't have to go out of their way. People wouldn't have to make all these changes or they wouldn't have to be so outspoken. And so like just points across because I mean, yeah, it's just, Every day people can use all the th- same things we use. We just change things up a little bit to help us. That's all. I think that just goes back down to that adaptation as well.
1: To those who are listening to the podcast, I'm sure you're you're probably feeling the same way I am right now. And that is the question of advocacy have you ever during your talks or make it a part of your presentation to push for not just legislation but to push for awareness of accessibility is that part of any of your of your talks
0: yeah so um especially with the schools um i mean i kind of bring it up in every aspect of my life um just being an advocate for people with disabilities but um with especially with my talks with the schools with our traveling wheelchair basketball program, a part of that is we leave the wheelchair basketball chairs in with the schools for an extended period of time, so that they can actually incorporate wheelchair basketball, wheelchair sports into their gym curriculum, so that kids get to uh, see it and witness it on like just an everyday level and just get to try it out and see what it's like. But on top of that, some schools have actually gone one step further and have actually allowed kids to use a wheelchair for the day, and got to use that wheelchair and see what's the difference and see is do you have trouble getting to this classroom? Do you have trouble going to just lunch or eating? And what do you do with your lunch tray when you're carrying it? Do you put it on lap? Oh no, it's going to fall. So how do you do that? So it's just seeing all these just basic things that you kind of take for granted and that you kind of think, Oh, it's just normal to me. And I mean, I have those things in my own life that even things that I've just always done one way, having to do them a different way, just to a different circumstance. I mean, I'm even learning too. So um, I think, That part is uh, really important in that the kids not only get to hear my message and see that I've lived it, but they also get to experience it in their own lives and see that, yeah, there may be kids even in their own school district that live and have similar challenges to me and similar challenges to people all around the world.
1: If people would like to get a hold of you to have you come speak or present in their schools, what's the best way for them to contact you?
0: Yeah, so you can either contact the, um, it's done directly through the J-Rob Foundation website. um, And there's a form on there where you can uh, request me to come to the school. We'll either send an email to me or my mom or someone within the foundation, and then uh, we'll get a hold and we'll just get in contact. That is just
1: magnificent. All right, my friends, section two of three of the podcast interview this morning. Guests on the podcast are sent a series of questions. They can review them or not, but uh, they're going to be no matter what. But just an opportunity to get to know a little bit more about them, especially in terms of uh, their histories and uh, certainly their involvement in Central New York. And let's get this thing started. You ready to play? Let's do it. He's always in.
0: What keeps you motivated, Jason? Um, a big thing that keeps me motivated are my goals. Um, I think that I'm a, I'm a big proponent of writing down goals and just keeping goals and just keep continuously chasing them. Um, I think for me when sports related, one of my goals is to make the Paralympic team. And, um, I think that's just something that pushes me every day in training. It pushes me every day in racing. It just does helps me just keep on track. And I think just, yeah, having those goals and writing them down. And then when you do complete a goal, writing a new one and just keep on that, keep that cycle going. Do you have a training partner? Yeah. I mean, I train with uh, about probably 15 athletes um, at the university. So I have multiple training partners. Yeah. How many
1: of them have done marathons?
0: Um, A lot of us do the marathons. I think the nice thing with wheelchair racing is, is a lot of us do any races. So, I mean, I compete anywhere from the 100 meter all the way to the marathon. So I do a very wide range of events and I think a lot of us do as well. And it's just something that is kind of universal throughout the sport. Um, So yeah, so, I mean I think a lot of my the people I train with uh, just compete in the same marathons that I do as well.
1: That's interesting because that separates you from traditional runners because yeah. usually if you do long, you're certainly not a sprinter. No, you know that's really uh, interesting.
0: Do they have sprinting divisions? Yeah. So, I mean, we have the 100 meter, we have the 200 meter, meter, the 400 meter. We have all the same track events. Okay. Um, and yeah, you do have those people who do specialize. I mean, especially some of the best people in the sport solely do like either the one or the four or like they'll pick an event and eventually I'll have to get to the point on the track where I pick an event and probably focus on that if I want to do well. And if I want to hopefully reach a gold medal someday, but, um, so, I mean, yeah. Right now, I'm very, still very young in the sport, so I still just do as much as possible and do as many events as possible because I'm still just trying to find out what I want to do it and what I want to be good at. So, in
1: terms of your events, Jason, how far off is your time from a gold medal time?
0: Um, I'm, I'm not necessarily close, but I'm, I'm getting there. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm steadily improving, but yeah. So hopefully, within I don't know maybe in LA I'll have a shot, a shot at meddling. And hopefully my goal is to hopefully try to make the Paris 2024 team. So um, hopefully in the future, I'll have a medal to my name, but if not, I mean, it's, I think that's just something I really want to reach and something that hopefully I'll be able to do. Jason,
1: talking about improving your time and potentially meddling, uh, do you know, from a training perspective, what you need to work on in order to improve your time?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that kind of comes within just practice every day and um, something that we work a lot with our coaches on Um, and just seeing what we can do better, even just for the next day of practice. And uh, if something goes wrong, finding out how to improve it. Um, Like I said before, I kind of try to take note about each race, about what I could have done better. so that hopefully in the future, if I go back and race that race again, since we do a lot of the same cycles each year. um,
1: Do you get a chance to watch a lot of video of yourself to see your technique?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, my coach, really good job at um just honing in on that type of stuff he videotapes us he puts it in slow-mo so we get to see if we're connecting at the rim at the right point if we're mm. flicking off at the right point like just making sure like even those tiny things those tiny things separates you from a medal and always is and, right yeah not even meddling at all so i mean um i think that's really important and just having that relationship with your coaches and i think i've had i've been very fortunate to have great coaches whether it be through my school whether it be through my uh club program that i competed with the north jersey navigators for, for forever before i went to college and then on top of that just my coach at the university um just he does such a good job at just making sure his athletes are if you put the work in he will always reciprocate is what he said he's the he tells us he says if you show up if you try your hardest if you do everything you have i don't care if you're a gold medal i don't care if you're a beginner in the sport he said he'll give you the same amount of attention and i think that's something that's awesome about him is that he's just so he's very attentive and he, uh he may not be one of those coaches that screams at you and yells at you as you're going around the track but he's uh one of the he, he's just as supportive and he's just as um excited to athletes do well and just i think he's just i don't know i've had really good experiences with him so far how would you describe you
1: <laughs>
0: i was looking at this question earlier when i was reading over it like, how do I answer this? But I think I would, I think if I would describe myself, I think I would be, um, I don't know. I think I'm a funny guy. I think I'm very likable. I think a pretty good work ethic, whether it be within school or sports. Um, yeah. I hope that people see me as someone who's respectful, someone who's kind, someone that my mom would <laughs> be proud that she raised. So I don't know. Yeah. You know,
1: that's absolutely unequivocally clear. How does it feel when? Someone says to you, Jason, that you are making a huge difference in the world.
0: I mean, I think that's great. I think that's one of the best compliments I could receive. I think uh, on top of that, just, I don't know. I think for me, I see it more as just helping some kids, just helping some people just be able to live lives, live their lives and do the things they want. Um, And hopefully someday that they'll be able to reach the level that they want to reach. So I think that just being able to play even just a small role in that, I think that's very important, and just, I don't know, I really like to help people.
1: Over time, Jason, what are you most proud of?
0: Um, so I think for me, whether it be on a school side, I think I have a few answers to that. I think academically just getting accepted into the bioengineering program at the University of Illinois, it's a very prestigious engineering school, so I think that um, us as athletes, a lot of the time just being a D1 athlete people assume that we don't have to have good grades. We just kind of get to skip out on all the stuff. We have to do that. But I think academics are something that are super important to me. I mean, I'm a student before I'm an athlete and the and the student athlete uh, there. So um, I think just being able to get accepted into that program and to be able to do well in that program, I think that's something I'm super proud of. But I mean, whenever I think of just something I'm very proud of, I think of probably the first time I medaled at an international event. I mean, at Junior Worlds, 2018 in ireland i was able to take home a few medals so i think just being able to be on the podium with my other competitors and just being able to receive that medal is just something that you just can't even put into words about how i felt i just i was so excited and that just showing that my hard work could be pay off into something and that hopefully someday i could be able to um, receive a medal at the highest stage of uh, competition so I got
1: to ask you later if you can send me a couple of those photos. If you post some of those for
0: sure. Thank you so
1: much. Do you have a favorite childhood memory?
0: Um, yeah. So I think my favorite childhood memory and just one that I always, a story that I always tell people, I don't know. I think it's when, so when I was probably about four or five, maybe a little younger, I was just sitting in the living room watching TV. My mom was out in the kitchen. She's just cleaning up after dinner, I think. And, at the time in Hudson Falls, we had bats in our house and we had that recurring problem over and over and over again. And it seemed like I think this was I think this was the first time it happened. But I was just sitting in the living room watching TV. I was just chilling. And my mom's out there and I said, Mommy, something flying something's flying around our house. She probably thought I was crazy. But then I was like, Mommy, no, there's a birdie in our house. And she goes, What? And then she comes out and sees there's a bat. And of course then I we both leave the house and my dad takes care of it sure that it gets out of the house but i think that's always just a funny story i always remember and something that i always just tell people just because it's i don't know i, I just thought it's very funny because for me as a little kid i was like why are there birds in the house and my mom's like nope that's a bat and that should not be in the house so
1: yep there's a reason why i never visited the house yeah what do you perceive is your biggest failure
0: um and what did you learn from it i think for me um 2019 was a pretty hard year when it came to racing for me i think a lot of my failures that i think of just come from racing just because it's such a big aspect of my life and i don't necessarily even necessarily say it would be a failure i think that it's just more of like a learning experience i think we have failures in every aspect of our life but i think we need to use them as learning experiences um just because for us to grow but i think for me that year i did miss out on opportunities to make two uh, international teams um, which at the time I kind of thought I was pretty slated for. I thought I was pretty much a shoe in. And I think something I learned from that was just not assume and to just always try your hardest. And that, yeah, I did try my hardest at those competitions. And yeah, I did put my best foot forward. But I think just not assume that you're shoeing for anything or that you like are guaranteed something because it's not, there's nothing guaranteed. Um, just not take that for granted and just to, um, appreciate the things that you are given and just to not um but also not to dwell on the things that you don't receive because i think at that time when i didn't make those teams um i think those were just two major goals that i was shooting for that year so i think i was just so 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 focused on that that i just kind of neglected the fact that like yeah i may not make these teams but that's okay i have more opportunities in the future and that that's something that i can reach in the future and that's something that i can do and uh that i'll just keep on trying harder and just keep on doing better the next year so i think yeah i think that put me in a little bit of a dark place for a while just mentally with the sport because i just i don't know i i think it was my first time ever really like not reaching the point where i thought i was going to get in the year which that's something that i feel like a lot of athletes see and even just people see in their lives is like that transitional state of just going from I mean, for me, it was going from competing against kids to competing against adults, pretty much. Um, just having that transition to like more of a professional thing and just taking it more seriously. So I think that was probably one thing I see as like, a failure. Um, I think more as just a learning experience and just something that I could touch upon and just learn from in the future.
1: What's the best compliment you've ever gotten? I know you alluded to something a minute ago. Yeah,
0: I think that's just that I'm making a difference in the world um, or that I'm making a difference in the community that I live in. I think that's something that's super important to me um, and just helping others. I think that hearing the appreciation from our recipients or just hearing their appreciation from even people in my lives, just at basic things like I hold the door for someone, just like a simple thank you, just being kind. And I think just compliments in general are very, I think people need to give more of. So
1: do you have a favorite holiday movie?
0: Um, I think home, I love the Home Alone series.
1: And the other part of the question is, what does that say about you?
0: Um, <laughs>
1: this might be the first time I asked this question.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the inner child in me. And I love the fact that Kevin's able to wear around his house and stop the robbers. And I think that also ties into the fact of just me being a problem solver. I think that I like to problem solve I like to do things with my hands I like to build things I like to solve problems I'm that weirdo that enjoys math I like I like all that type of stuff so I think yeah on that but I also think just it touches at the I'll forever be a kid and I'll forever enjoy those things so
1: at the raw age of 19 years old if you can go back years and talk to your younger self what advice would you give
0: um to not use as much hair gel but um <laughs> no I think <laughs> <laughs> yeah seriously I used way too um, I think I took that after my dad, um, but um, no. But I think I think I would just tell myself to um, just always be yourself. I think that a lot of the time in middle school, I think this happens with pretty much every middle schooler or like every like preteen. But uh, just to, they kind of just try to fit into some social circle and just try to be the popular kid or try to do the stuff that other people would enjoy. But I think just making sure that you do the things that you enjoy and just continue to do them um and just who cares what other people say i mean yeah because i feel like i've realized the best thing coming to college is no one cares who you are like everyone's just living their own lives everyone's doing the things they want to do and um you're not looking you're not looked down for on it and you're not like nothing's seen as not popular so i think that that's something that needs to be changed within high school within middle school so if i could just tell myself to just do the things that I wanted to do and just who gives a crap about other people. So
1: last question of the get to know you segment is my favorite question on the podcast. What is one question you wish people would ask you? I am really curious to we our answer.
0: So I think, I mean, you touched upon this earlier, just it being so important to ask questions, especially with people with disabilities. I think that the biggest question I would just have people ask me would probably be, I don't know. It's just, how does a wheelchair work or something like that? Like something simple. I don't even know if it was necessarily that question itself, but I think, I don't know. I think that's, I'm all for asking questions. and I'm all for answering questions. I think that I would love people even just to ask me stuff that's not even necessarily about my disability. Just, I don't know. What do you enjoy? What do you like to do? Like just personal questions. I think that that stems questions. Those questions stem uh, conversation and I love having conversations with people. I love talking to people. I love just getting to know people. So I think even just, I don't know, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? Like That just simple stuff. Because I mean, a lot of time people are afraid to ask questions about like, our my disability or something like that, just because they don't want to offend me, or they don't want to do something like that. But I think also, yeah, while my disability is a part of my life, and while it's something that I could touch upon, I could talk about for hours, I'll share a lot of the same things when it comes to, I don't know, favorite music, favorite stuff like that. So it's just Stuff that, like, simple stuff. I think simple questions are very, like, underused.
1: Be careful what you wish for, my friend, because here <laughs> it comes. It is the rapid-fire segment to round off the podcast this morning. And I'll tell you, I I don't come up with many good ideas, Jason, but mm-hmm. um you are one. Um It is always good to see you. I, I tell you that every, it's every good time to see you, we too. see you. Thank you. That means a lot to me. But rapid fire questions, here we go. Let's start it off. What's your favorite holiday? Uh, Christmas. Giving, receiving, or both? Giving. Fall, winter, spring, or summer? Fall. What's the best way Jason relaxes?
0: Uh, I'd say on the couch on a rainy day watching some Netflix. Favorite donut? Headlights. Favorite music? Um, I'm big on country music. We've to question our friendship
1: at this point. <laughs> Who would you pay $500 to see in concert?
0: Um, this is very much influenced by my sister, but I would love to see Harry Styles in concert.
1: Favorite food? grilled cheese. Jeans, sweats, shorts, workout pants, or casual dress?
0: You can't go wrong with jeans. Favorite actor? Uh, Adam Sandler. Wow. Favorite film? I like both of the Top Gun films.
1: It's amazing. I was watching the news the other day and how a lot of people didn't like Top Gun Maverick. I'm like, how do you not? They're
0: like both Maverick? so good. I, I yeah,
1: absolutely. What flavor frosting on your birthday cake? Chocolate. If we could, ha- if you could have lunch with an inspirational person, who would it be? Uh, Katie LeDecky. Powerful. Who has the best tomato pie in Central New York? Uh, Romas. Sunshine or moonshine? Sunshine. M Ms or Skittles? Skittles. Favorite Halloween candy Twix. Hug or handshake? Hugs. Tent or hotel? Ah, uh, tent. Do you prefer to lead or follow? Ah, uh, lead. Sneakers, shoes, barefoot? Sneakers. Hot chocolate, tea, or coffee? Coffee. What's in your coffee?
0: Ah, uh, depends. If I'm at Starbucks, I like their shaken espressos. Um, if I'm at Duncan, I just get a simple caramel iced coffee.
1: That may have been the last time I saw you. I got you a coffee at Starbucks. Yes.
0: You're an athlete. Do you mm-hmm. follow any sports teams? I follow a few.
1: Favorite sports team?
0: Uh, for football, I like the Seahawks. For baseball, I like the Yankees. For, I'm starting to get in some basketball, um, for the NBA. So I'm starting to follow the Bulls a bit, just being in Chicago, but I'm big on college sports. So anything Illinois. Do you fear any animals? Ah, uh, spiders sunrise or sunset Ooh, sunrise
1: if you bump into a former teacher jason do you call them by their first name no amazing reaction what toppings go on your pizza i'm
0: a big fan of plain pizza
1: when the tooth fairy comes what do you think the current value of the tooth is today
0: Mm, i think the dollar is where it should be just keep it simple
1: keep it simple at college do you host or do you attend parties
0: I mean, I'm not a big partier, but I'd, I'd rather uh, attend than host.
1: What is your favorite childhood
0: film? Um, I think The Lion King is always something that I will always enjoy. travel anywhere
1: in the world, and you've been around some places. Where are you headed?
0: Uh, I'm going to Australia.
1: Down under. Yep. Fascinating. That ends up the podcast, my friend. And is there anything else you'd like to add before we close this out today?
0: No, I'd just like to say thank you for having me. It's been fun.
1: Well, you are fun. And you are just one of, I'm telling you right now, and you have been for so long. That's why I've been so proud and thankful to be associated with your family. Um, I hope that people are going to do what I'm going to do with this podcast, which is certainly going to incorporate this interview into my classroom settings with my students and people who will listen. Um, but what you're doing is amazing. Thank you. What you're doing is inspirational. I have a real soft spot, Jason, for anybody who stands up on behalf of others. And you are humble. You exude what it means to give back through an altruistic lens. And I know that your parents are remarkably proud of who you are, who they've been able to contribute. And I thank your parents for allowing you to share your world with with the upstate New York and literally with those around the world. Because it is people like you, Jason, who is contributing to the narrative of why we need to do better because the world is supposed to be inclusive we need to act in a way that does that so thank you so much for your time thank you stay well my friend yes you too this has been another episode of das full monty the good news podcast as always thank you to our guests for the honor of their time and their contribution the good news podcast is brought to you by the oxford road professional group in new hartford new york I am the good doctor, and as always, thank you for making time to consider not only the good news, but Das Fulmonti, the Good News Podcast, Carpe Diem, and Donna Dago Ahi, which is Cherokee for until we meet again. Remain well.